After introducing the subject of spiritual gifts back in chapter 12, the Lord now turns our attention to the abuse and I'll say misuse of this one particular gift in the Corinthian church. And so today, from these verses, I want us to talk about what God wants us to know about unknown tongues. So let's look at the text, verse 1, verse ch- chapter 14. Follow after charity or love and desire spiritual gifts. In other words, it's okay to desire spiritual gifts. But rather, desire that ye may prophesy. Or in other words, Paul's saying, if you're going to desire to have a spiritual gift, desire the gift of preaching. And that's what prophesying was. It was declaring the word of the Lord, the revealed word of God. And he says, if you have to pick and choose on what you'd love to do by way of a spiritual gift, and by the way, remember a few weeks ago we talked about every Christian has a spiritual gift, and God's going to help us discern what that is. But he says, if you have to choose and you had to select, hey, I'd like to have this particular spiritual gift, he said, man, I'll tell you what do. If you really want earnestly to desire a spiritual gift, you preach the word, teach the word. You prophesy. Verse 2, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now, what he is saying there is that there's not somebody there in the church setting who understands that language. And if there is no interpreter or no interpretation, then it is as if the person speaking in tongues is just speaking to the Lord that only God understands what they're saying. Verse 3. But he that prophesies or he that preaches speaks unto men to edification, to exhortation, to comfort or encouragement. Verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. In other words, if there is no interpreter, if there is not somebody there who has the gift of interpretation who can say, okay, here's what he's saying and here's what it means. But he that prophesies edifies the church or the whole body. I would that ye all spoke with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, unless there's an interpreter, that the church may receive edification. Now, brethren, verse 6, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall it profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. In other words, if I come on the scene and I'm speaking a language that you don't know and I don't give you an interpretation, what benefit is there? But he says, if I give you revelation from God or if I give you some knowledge or if I preach and give you some prophecy or if I give you doctrine, then that'll edify And even things without life, giving sound, whether it be pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? And here's the application. He uses an analogy with musical instruments. Verse 8, for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? 
In other words, that a trumpet blast means a certain thing. And in this culture and context, they understood that. And what he's saying, if the trumpet is supposed to give a certain sound and it gives an uncertain sound, then the ones listening to the trumpet won't know what's going on. Again, clarity. He's talking about clarity. He's talking about being able for everybody in the group, everybody in the body, everybody in the gathering to be able to gain and understand and get what's going on. Verse 9, so likewise ye except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood. How shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak unto the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of verse voices in the world. Yes, there are. And none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh as a barbarian or as an ignorant person. And he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts. In other words, you dear ones at Corinth are chomping at the bit to exercise some sort of spiritual gift. Okay, I get that, he says. But he says, since you're chomping at the bit to exercise your spiritual gift, why don't you exercise a spiritual gift that, and here's the last phrase, that can edify the church. And build up the church. So first of all, let's do this. Let's ascertain the meaning. What is it? What is Paul referring to? What is the New Testament referring to when it talks about speaking in an unknown tongue? Well, the English word tongue used in chapter 14 here is the Greek word glossa. Simply meaning a language. A language like a native language, one that is natively learned or naturally learned, a naturally learned language. English is my native language. I've learned a second language. It's redneck, okay? But that's, that's, that's most of us in here if you're from eastern North Carolina. I've taken a little bit of Spanish, just enough to get myself in trouble. But English is my native tongue. We have some dear ones in our auditorium today, part of our church fellowship, who your native tongue is not English. Your native language is not English. It's another language. It may be French. It may be German. It may be... uh, a language originating in the Far East. It may be one of the Indian dialects. But, but English is not your native language. You've learned it. You speak it very well. You understand it. But it's not, it's, it's not what you grew up understanding and knowing. The word tongue in our New Testament simply means a language. It means a language that somebody already knows their, la- their native tongue. It's a legitimate language spoken somewhere in this world. 
Mark 16, 17, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, refers to this supernatural gift, here it is, to be able to speak a language, a tongue, that that person speaking it hadn't previously formally learned. And they're in the presence of someone Acts 2 spell this, spells this out. They're in the presence of someone who doesn't speak their language. And God gives them, gifts them, enables them to speak in a language that's not their native tongue, but is the native tongue of the audience or the listener. And person A had never studied that language before. Person A didn't have full knowledge of it, but God supernaturally granted them the ability to speak a language that they hadn't studied, they hadn't known, they didn't know, but person B did. That was person B's native language. And in order for person B to understand the gospel, day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, God enabled person A to be able to speak that language. Why? So that the gospel would be communicated. I shared weeks ago about H.B. Garlock, a missionary to Africa about 50 years ago who came across a primitive uh, cannibalistic tribe in Africa and he literally was ambushed by them and they were threatening, he found out later, they were threatening to kill and eat him. Gulp. That guy, you talk about being unnerved? <laughs> Pass the salt, okay? <laughs> I mean, he, he knew, he knew by their body language that he was being threatened and that he, you know, his life was in jeopardy. He instantly prayed for the grace of God and for an understanding on what to do. And God supernaturally gave him the ability to speak that particular native African dialect. He had never met them before, much less heard their language. And God enabled him to speak and communicate to them. Long story short, they didn't eat him. <laughs> he lived to rot again. They didn't kill him. <laughs> and he was able to communicate supernaturally the gospel to them. They ended up getting saved. You say, wait a minute. How do you explain that? Friend, I have no explanation other than that that, that is the true gift of speaking in tongues. Now, it was a miraculous, revelatory gift that enabled someone to speak an existing human language they had not previously known or learned. So let's address the misconceptions. Tongues, as it is taught right here, was not a private prayer language. Tongues is not a heavenly language. Tongues is not a new word or a revelation from God that is distinct or separate from Scripture. In other words, if someone spoke in tongues and there was an interpretation, it would always be consistent with Scripture. 
tongues was not a sign of superior spirituality or spiritfulness. There were many in the local New Testament church that did not speak in tongues. That doesn't mean that they were not filled with the Holy Spirit. There are many of you who grew up in churches, many of us in our congregation who have been in services or in churches where speaking in tongues occurred. And sometimes some have even said, well, if you're really, really spiritual and you're really filled with the Holy Spirit, then you will be able to do that. And some have questioned, well, wait a minute, I've never spoken in tongues. Does that mean I'm not as spiritual as so-and-so? Does that mean that I am not filled with the Holy Spirit because I've never had that gift? No. And then I will say this, that tongues, according to the New Testament, was not unintelligible gibberish. In other words, it was not just meaningless words that were being said. It was a legit language. So let's apply the model. Again, keep your Bible open to chapter 14. This chapter, as Paul lays it out, According to the Holy Spirit, we all believe that the Holy Spirit is directing the Apostle Paul as he is writing this down. He gives a certain grid, a certain model to follow in the local church if tongues is going to be employed or used, this spiritual gift. He says, first of all, in verse 22, it should be done to help the sinner understand and believe the gospel. Verse 22. Notice what he says. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe. In other words, it's for the benefit of somebody who is an unbeliever. I love what Matthew Poole said. Listen carefully. He said, the knowledge of the gospel was conveyed to those who could not have understood what the ministers of the gospel said had they not spoken to them in the language of the hearers. In other words, Matthew Poole is simply saying that, hey, speaking in tongues meant that person A was able to speak the gospel in the language of person and B, even though person A hadn't ever studied the language before. That's what he's saying. And the purpose and intent behind it all was to communicate the gospel to somebody that was an unbeliever. There's a second criteria. It should always have an interpretation. Listen to verse 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course. Let one interpret. If there be no interpreter, let them keep silence in the church. Let him not speak. Let him speak to himself and to God. In other words... If there's no interpreter and you can't interpret, just keep it to yourself at that moment. Let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn 
And all may be encouraged or comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, if somebody is sitting in a service and they say, I, I, I have to get up and say this. And if there's no interpretation, Paul said, then let them have the self-control to sit there and not get up and say anything. Now, why is that? Verse 33 Because God is not the author of confusion. God is the author of peace. In other words, God doesn't want there to be a lack of clarity or confusion in the house of God about what his message is. And gang, that's the whole point. God doesn't want there to be any misunderstanding at all about what he is saying to his people. He wants the message crystal clear. And if there is no interpretation, he says, then that causes confusion. It causes misunderstanding. And that's what he's trying to avoid. And then he says it should be done one at a time. Verse 27, uh, uh, let it be done in course. Uh, Verse 31, let it be done one at a time. One by one. Verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Let it not be chaotic. Let it not be this person standing up and not giving an interpretation. This person standing up and not giving an interpretation and it being done at the same time, uh, one uh, at the same time as another. And it's confusing to people. And then he said, it should be done by men only. You're like, what? Look at verse 34. Again, this is in the context of utilizing this spiritual gift. I'm standing on Scripture, ladies and gentlemen, not on my feelings, not on my experience. It says, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. If they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. You say, that's it, Buster Brown. I am out of here. Now, ladies, men, hear me carefully. This is in the context of speaking in tongues. It's in the context of utilizing the spiritual gift. You say, why, why, why did you say women couldn't do it, Christian power? Why did you say that? I didn't say that. The Lord said that. Now, now in the context, of, you say, well, what does that mean? That women can't ever speak? I don't believe that's what he's saying. Again, it's in the context. You say, well, can't women testify? Yes, I believe women can testify. If women can't testify, this church has been in violation of that for decades. Well, wait a minute. Women can't pray? No, women can pray. Women can't teach? No, women can teach. Women can speak. But when it comes in the context of Corinth, in this spiritual gift, God said, just the men. You say, well, that sounds chauvinistic. Well, here's what it sounds like to me, because that's as crystal clear as I'll get out right there. It sounds to me like God's the one that has the right to make the rules. I don't make the rules. 
The Lord does. I just live by it and declare it. When it came to this issue, he says, ladies, let the men speak. So let's analyze the motive as we come down the home stretch. You say, Christian, you have not answered my questions. Dear friend, I probably won't be able to. But Christian, you don't understand. When I was growing up, I, friend, I, I, probably can't, I probably can't give you a sufficient answer for what you experienced when you were growing up. I probably can't properly interpret for you an experience that you had or I had when I was a child and I was in a service or whatever. It might have been a relative or a grandparent or a parent or a sibling or whatever or you yourself. And you say, can you help me understand that? I might be able to help you give one or two thoughts. But, 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 but here again, I, I don't speak ex cathedra when I start speaking outside, outside the confines of, of this right here. So I can give you my opinion, but you can put 99 cent with my opinion and get a cup of coffee down at McDonald's. My opinion won't help you much, but I know this book will. I'm just giving you what the book says. So, so Christian, why, why was God so clear to the Corinthians? Why was Paul so, so definitive why what what would have been the big deal hey hey paul just let them do what they're gonna do leave them alone they're at least exercising their spiritual gift right and that what we would say in our culture in 2022 why are you stirring up trouble paul why are you making waves why are you doing that why are you saying that you're being unkind you're being hurtful He's only doing what God told him. Okay? So here's the deal. Why was God so crystal clear? Why was it such a big deal? Here's why. Because clarity of God's truth and message is the aim in all of this. Because what they were doing is they were have, like, like we have, we call it around here, popcorn testimonies. All right, hey, who's got a testimony? Boom, 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 boom. And what they were doing is they were having popcorn exercises of spiritual giftedness. And they were having people stand up and claim they were speaking in an unknown tongue. And yet there was no interpretation. It it, it was being done at one time. You had two or three people in the body at the very same time speaking an an unknown language. And it was chaos. And then you had no interpretation, and it was double chaos. And it was causing controversy and causing confusion. And God says, no, listen, listen. Here's, if you are led by the Spirit of God to share this, here's how it must be done. Do it this way. Why? Why? Why should there have been an interpreter? Why one at a time? Because, ladies and gentlemen, hear me carefully. It is incumbent on every preacher and incumbent in every church service that there always be clarity of the message of God. It grieves my soul when I'm in a service or when I myself do it. When I, by something I do say or didn't say, when I cause confusion in somebody's mind about the truth of God. Why is that such a big deal? 
Because if there's one thing we can't get fuzzy on, if there's one thing we have to be crystal clear about, it is what thus saith the Lord. It's the gospel. Hear my heart. Gospel clarity is at the very motive of why God gave these rules. God's not being a killjoy. He's being God. And because he's God, he cares about the gospel. Because he's God, it's his gospel. And he cares about lost people. He cares about lost people understanding the gospel and being saved. Why did we sing every single song today about the blood of Jesus Christ? It's because, ladies and gentlemen, that is the heart of the gospel message. It was on purpose. And we were striving for clarity. Why? Because the gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his shed blood applied to our account. There is no greater message. There is no greater theme. And that encapsulizes the very heart of God himself. And that's why he said, if I give you this gift, you exercise it in this way. Why? Because when people walk out the door, I want them to understand what just happened. I want them to understand what went on because I want them to be crystal clear about what my truth is. So let's get clear. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know Jesus? As your Lord and Savior. If you were to draw your last breath right now, do you know 100% for sure that you would go to heaven? We're going to begin our invitation right now. And that's what, that's what this has all been about, friend. Do you know that you know, hear my heart, do you know that you know that if you were to draw your last breath, do you know that you'd open your eyes in glory? In the presence of Jesus. There is no more sober question than that one. There is no greater issue than that one. Do you know that you know that you know Jesus? I want you to know that all of us are sinners. And that because we are sinners, there's no way we can get our way or earn our way or be good enough to attain our way into heaven. We're already condemned. God said, I didn't send my son into the world to condemn the world because the world's already condemned. But I sent my son into the world to save the world. And he wants to save you today, dear friend. He wants you to know beyond the shadow of any doubt that when you walk out of this room, even, even, even before you walk out of this room, he wants you to be able to know that you have said yes to Jesus, that you have turned from your sins. That's called repentance. You've turned from your own way. And you've said yes to Jesus and his sacrifice for your sin. That you are trusting in what he did for you on the cross. You're trusting in that blood applied to your account.
Dear friend, do you know that? He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he sent his son to take your place and mine. He wants that in your heart and mind to be crystal clear. Have you said yes to him?